This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts, Chip Patterson and Barton Simmons. It's your call for the best college football coverage. From National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between, CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast. And welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast here on CBS Sports. That's Barton Simmons. That's Tom Fernelli. I'm Chip Patterson. Friday afternoon, 3rd of July. Hope you are enjoying uh, your holiday weekend, whether you are catching this uh, on your way to festivities, playing it on your home device through all your speakers for your quarantined cookout, or or getting around to it on Sunday on the way back stuck in traffic. Uh, Happy uh, holiday weekend to you. Gentlemen, how are we doing? I'm I'm despondent that due to new orders in Illinois, neither of you will be able to come visit me anytime soon. Yeah, we're on the banned list, Barton. I don't know if you saw that. No, no. There's there's Illinois has banned specific states. Yes, Illinois has is enacting a, a new whatever you want to call it that people from certain states are going to have to quarantine for 14 days. If we're not Illinois, Chicago. If you come to Chicago, they're going to force you to quarantine for 14 days. And both Tennessee and North Carolina are among the states on that list. Well, it's a good thing I am hunkered down and ain't going nowhere, anyways. For a while. <laughs> so, so, as as Chip texted me yesterday, says can't go to New York, can't go to Chicago, can't go to Europe. <laughs> yeah, and the only place I can go to is Pinehurst. That's that's the only place I can go. It's just a, a little while down uh, US one to uh, to the Sand Hills. Uh, we got a lot to get to. Uh, we've got some some news on the coaching front. We've got some NCAA violations to take a, a harder look at. We've got a big recruiting week as we discussed going into the weekend, uh, and a big recruiting decision that will be coming up on Saturday. Plus some of your questions in the mailbag. But we will begin on Thursday evening. Friday morning, uh, some news out of Oklahoma State. Oklahoma State put together uh, a review of some of the allegations from Chuba Hubbard and other Oklahoma State teammates into uh, Mike Gundy, the culture that he's created around Stillwater, and the statement from Oklahoma State Athletic Director Mike Holder says, we have spent the past couple of weeks reviewing our program and talking with current and former players. Our internal review found that Coach Gundy needs to invest more time in building stronger relationships with students athletes however our review has uncovered no signs or indication of racism after meeting with coach gundy i am confident that he listened to his student athletes i believe he is genuine in his commitment to strengthening relationships with his players i believe this is a win for everyone i'm looking forward to seeing the impact this will have on the team 
And we remember uh, the Cowboys, as we uh, announced in April, and as one of our listeners reminded us, are the uh, the OAN national champions already determined before the season. A lot of anticipation for uh, the Cowboys and top five team in the eyes of Barton Simmons. So uh, we also have some, some financials that are added to this. Mike Gundy has, for the last couple of years, operated with a rolling five-year contract. Uh, you know, every single year there's a new... Uh, year added on that he's completed that has been dropped now to a four-year contract that will be rolling over and he's going to be taking a pay cut so i will ask does the pay cut does the adjustment in the rolling deal which i if, if I'm to make this a little bit more layman speak, just sounds like they renegotiated what the buyout is, right? Because the buyout's going to be, if they were to move on, they have to pay out whatever's left on the deal. Now, instead of five years, if they wanted to get rid of Gundy, they would only have to pay four years. And with the salary cut, that number goes down a little bit. So a lot of this really points to it being less of a financial burden if Oklahoma State wants to move on. Is this a penalty that Mike Gundy take, took? Uh, is this something that means anything to you in your analysis of Mike Gundy and where he stands at Oklahoma State? And do you believe, as Mike Holder has suggested in his statement, that there will be some positive to come from uh, both Chuba Hubbard and the players speaking out and uh, Mike Gundy now moving forward, having acknowledged that while there might not be racism with his players, he's just he he just doesn't build strong relationships with them. Uh, I'll I'll start with the buyout. Uh, we we don't know the exact numbers, but the Athletics Max Olson tweeted today he said, "If my math is correct, the new changes to Mike Gundy's contract reduce the cost of buying him out from seventeen million to just under eight point nine million. So that's like a forty forty five percentage significant pay cut as far as as the buyout is, and that's very significant. So when you look at it from that angle." Yeah, this feels like a punishment, and it also feels like Oklahoma State positioning itself to where if it wants to move on, it's a lot more. It's going to be a lot, you know, more cost effective for them to do so going forward. Feels like a, the the long farewell is beginning. Mm-hmm. Unless maybe, hey, maybe Mike Gundy is. Uh, maybe all of my my dreams, my hopes and dreams become reality this year, and they're in the playoffs, and they are in fact the uh, the OAN national champions, and then, then maybe you know the the long farewell gets delayed a little bit, but feels like the beginning, the beginning of like there's been a lot, a lot of flirtations with other schools by Mike Gundy, a lot of kind of dangling himself out there to just test the waters. Probably a lot of like there's been some back and forth between you know the administration wanting him to recruit better and him getting upset about that. It just doesn't feel like this is always been like the happiest marriage anyways and you know now now he doesn't quite have the same uh equity uh, built you know just just the same uh goodwill that maybe he once did do you believe that mike gundy uh d- did mike gundy go into this with the same attitude as that uh hostage video with chuba right off the top or is it like like was he more enthusiastic to put together uh that kind of response or was he uh more willing to be able to take this adjusted con these contract adjustments 
Well, I mean, I have no idea, but I, I have a hard time imagining that you go into a meeting like this or a review like this happy about it, no matter who you are. Right. You know, it's like, because you know going in, it is probably not going to work. I mean, even with the allegations of racism, even if you know that that's going to be proved to be, you know, off, you know that you're not coming out of this 100%, no matter what the investigation shows. And so I, I have a hard time thinking that Gundy went into all this thinking, hooray, I can't wait to sit down and do this and see what happens. Plenty of motivation to make me look smart this year, Mike. Just go ahead and get in that playoffs, man, and you'll just be helping us all out. I mean, yeah. remember when he was asked about social media and he was just like, <laughs> like, I just imagine him is like, all right, well, coach, I'm really sorry, but we're going to change the five-year rolling deal to a four-year rolling deal, and Gundy's across the table, and he rolls his eyes and goes, <laughs> if, if you're an Oklahoma State fan, though, how do you feel about it? It's like, okay, the investigation showed no signs or indication of racism. That's a good thing. So obviously, you're relieved to find that out. But what about the part of Holder's statement that just says, our review found that Coach Gundy needs to invest more time in building stronger relationships with his student athletes? So he just, uh, he he is in the nicest way, I guess, insensitive and unfeeling and in the meanest way, just a jerk. Yeah. That's, yeah. I mean, and it's weird and maybe this isn't fair, but I, I put this together and I go back to remember when everything back in February and when everything was still kind of unknown and he made the point that, you know, for economic reasons, it's important to the state of Oklahoma to have, you know, their football teams playing, not just, you know, it's important for a bunch of workers at the schools, in the stadiums, it's for the overall economy to have football playing. And that's true. It's just the way that he phrased it kind of made it look like his players are just kind of commodities and they're not, you know, they're, health or whatever however you want to view it it was a kind of a callous there was a way to take that as a callous appraisal of what he thought of his players and then you hear that coming from holder and it's like i do that math in my head and i'm just like i don't you know it's i i think he's a very good coach and i don't care about his political views but just based on that and then based on what there's the his own you know ad is saying or president athletic director is saying in these statements i'm like I don't know if Mike Gundy really cares that much about his players. Isn't that like a just off? I mean, if I was to be unfair and paint with a broad stroke and overgeneralize, isn't that a, a big part of the like offensive guru mentality? I don't care who the players are. Give me whoever you got. I'm going to go out there and win with them. Yeah, that kind of is. <laughs> that's a, that's a I mean, yeah, I think, yeah, you could say that like offensively, it's more scientific, whereas defense like emotion plays a large part in playing defense, emotion and effort and that kind of thing. So I feel like maybe on the defensive side, coaches have and this is a weird generalization to make. I know that just but I feel like coaches might have the quote unquote more human connection with their players on the defensive side of the ball because they're not just like pawns and knights and rooks being put in places to succeed. Yeah, good point. We'll uh we'll we'll keep the emotional investment of the offensive and defensive sides of football as it's a, a weird thing for us to broach. I know we'll we'll hold that off. We'll see what happens uh in terms of the upcoming season. We might be doing it in September. <laughs> <laughs>
All right. Uh, on to more news on the coaching side. Uh, Texas A&M and the NCAA announced that they went hand-in-hand hand into an investigation, and they agreed on a resolution to level two and level three violations by Jimbo Fisher, former assistant coach Jay Graham, and the Texas A&M football program. Uh, among the violations include impermissible contact with a high school prospect. Uh, among the violations include the uh, more time, the countable hours for their current team. They were found to have exceeded it by asking the players to show up an hour early for practice. The The recruiting rules were particularly interesting. The way the NCAA release reads, these occurred between January 2018 and February 2019. Uh, we've got a situation where Texas A&M already implemented some of the punishments like there were self-imposed punishments that were going on that I was not aware of. I don't know if uh, you Barton or you Tom were aware that Jimbo Fisher and the entire Texas A&M staff had cut off campus activities for the month of November or entirely off campus recruiting activities or that in December and January, they reduced the number of off campus recruiting days for the entire staff. But it was interesting because they also went on to sign the number six recruiting class. So I guess Jimbo Fisher, good enough to sign a top 10 class in the midst of self-imposing recruiting violations. Now that's not all. Uh, Jimbo Fisher does have a six-month show cause, which moving forward will prevent him from having any off-campus recruiting activities through the fall uh, the fall recruiting period. And Texas A&M will be, in addition to being fined, will be on probation for one year. So as, uh, like Tom, you wrote, story for cbssports.com as as you sort of pulled this apart did you find that the investigation or the violations themselves matched the the tone of the 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 woe reaction like retweet whoa retweet hello retweet wow retweet look at this well it's it's always clear who reads before retweeting right and this is one of those because yeah it's it's a show cause and show cause is a very, you know, attention gathering kind of phrase, but it's not really like the kind of like, it's not like a show cause that Jim Tressler, or a lot of coaches get. It's a six month show cause and it's not like Jimbo Fisher is leaving Texas A&M in the next six months. So it doesn't really have an impact. And in a lot of ways, like, yeah, I, I don't know about Barton, but Chip, I was also not a, aware of a lot of the self-imposed things that they'd already been doing during the fall because of this. So but it's for me, I didn't think it was that big of a deal. It was mostly minor stuff for to, the most interesting part of this to me. And I feel like what could be the most punitive and I don't know the player the recruit was or the school that he went to. But I found it interesting that they not just didn't just have to stop recruiting that kid, but they're not allowed to recruit that kid's high school through the end of the 2021-22 school year. So if this is like a local powerhouse program, I feel like that aspect of it could have a bigger impact on anything. Because if it's a powerhouse program, there might be a lot of players that Texas A&M would normally be recruiting that would want to recruit who might they might not be able to recruit over the next few years. And part of the penalty, uh, not just Jimbo Fisher can't go off campus, but like isn't it can't like Texas A&M as a staff can't be off campus in the fall. The whole uh, it is. Yeah, it is an additional or it's a ban on all off campus recruiting activities for the fall 2020 contact period. Of course, yeah. who the hell knows what the fall 2020 contact <laughs> period is going to be at this. So point. that's the thing. Like this is going to be like 
you know, good, good work, A and M. Like you guys, you guys played this one perfect. Go out, commit a bunch of recruiting violations, and then be forced to stay at home when a pandemic hits in the the 2020 season. So you can just ride out these penalties without really any real ramifications. Uh, it's it's it, it that would be a big deal to me. Like if the if the staff couldn't go out on the road in the fall. I think it's a pretty big deal, and that's a pretty big, that's a pretty significant penalty, pretty significant, and reflects pretty significant violations. But this thing, assuming that they don't, you know, have some sort of adjustment based on potentially everyone being off the road. Uh, I mean, the dead period right now is throughout the end of August. It just keeps on getting pushed back. At this point, it seems very reasonable to think that the dead period will continue through the fall. Uh, I, this is. It's going to work out pretty well for A&M. Go commit some violations. Yeah, you can't recruit this high school for a couple years. But other than that, you kind of come out of this thing all right. I know I'm, I'm sort of joking because I know there have been other penalties as well that they've already been uh, – that, that they've already enacted uh, internally. But, um, I mean, shoot. It, yeah. uh, it was also funny to me, like, what, it's, it, this, this happened between, what, January – 2018 and February 2019 is that what it was I think those were the date yeah it was uh from yeah January 18 to February 19 so pretty so 13 months pretty quick when Jimbo got the job he was he was gonna start pushing <laughs> the envelope <laughs> I, I, I will say the NCAA release in very classic NCAA you know pliable language the panel noted the circumstances resulting from the COVID-19 pandemic could impact how the remaining recruiting restrictions are implemented and encourage the university to report any challenges with penalty implementation to the NCAA. Sure. So the question there is, does that mean that if things are if nobody's allowed to recruit, they're going to push it back to another period? Or does that just mean it's up to Texas A&M to say, hey, we're having trouble keeping up with with these penalties? Because I don't think Texas A&M is going to have a problem keeping up with these penalties if that's indeed the case this fall. Not one bit. Uh, We mentioned it was a big recruiting week. We had the instant reaction to Tony Grimes to North Carolina on Tuesday. And then on Wednesday, Dallas Turner, a four-star defensive end out of Fort Lauderdale, St. Thomas Aquinas, rated ranked as the number 32 player in the country at 24-7 sports. He committed to Alabama. So in addition to, uh, hey, Barton, like what's – you know, what's what's Dallas Turner? Is he just going to fall into line at Alabama as just a you know another blue chip to be able to show up for the Tide? There's another wrinkle to this uh, pointed out by the co-host on your Mistress podcast, Bud Elliott, who said who pointed out seven of the top ten recruits from Florida are projected to leave the state. And that trend continues with Dallas Turner picking Alabama. So who is Dallas Turner and why are the best players in Florida not staying home? Well, Dallas Turner is one of the best pass rushers in the country. This cycle, former basketball player, complete guy, uh, high football character, all those things. Really good player. Um, So big time win. Alabama, I found, typically does really well with the high floor kids uh that come in polished they they typically get a lot out of them and, and make them even better um so i think that works um and as for the other question i think it's a it's a reflection of the national nature of recruiting right now the same reason usc isn't locking down southern california anymore uh the same reason that you know ohio's 
Ohio State's not just recruiting Ohio. Um, Texas A&M's recruiting nationally. Like teams are just recruiting nationally, so players are just committing to who the best programs are. And so, unless until Florida, Florida State, or Miami become one of the best programs, they're going to have a hard time locking down guys in the state of Florida. Florida is getting is is inching towards being one of the best programs. You know, this could be the year that they break through that, and you know they they've gotten a couple guys here and there. They're starting to make progress. But uh, but no, I mean top ten guys in the state of Florida. If they're not staying home, then that's that's a that's a certainly a big missed opportunity. So um, it's it's something to continue to monitor. Has Florida like so? You're saying Florida not necessarily with what it's doing on the field, but with what it's doing on the recruiting trail is starting to close a gap that has been created. What over the last four years? Over the last five years? Like when? When did that shift happen? Like when did Florida State? Jim okay. You know, and so I think um, Will Muschamp was. I mean, he he was he was a good recruiter. Um, I think Jim McElwain wasn't a great recruiter. I think Dan Mullen is. I don't know. He's sort of mixed bag so far. I, but but the point. But like, yes, I think he's closing the gap. Not in a in like a not in a super dramatic fashion, but just in a steady improvement year over year. And I think it's it's kind of aligning just with the the on-field improvement. And so I think that if they have a huge year this year, I mean, particularly given the climate right now, then there you could see some some flips late in the process. Not saying Dallas Turner will, but you know, maybe if seven of the top ten are going out of the state, you know, maybe that that trickles down to six of the top ten, maybe maybe five. Um I don't have any names in mind, but I, I think that Florida has a chance to continue to cut into that uh, that that uh, vacate vacation uh, departure. I'm trying to think of the right word, departure of exodus. Some of the top prospects. Exodus. There you go. That's what I'm thinking. Come on, Barton. Let's rile some people up. Just pick a recruit. Who's gonna flip? Who's, who's flipping? Pick it. Let's go. Not there yet. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's especially it. It stood out to me, and I made note of it because one of our um, big questions, in addition to our players committing earlier than ever, is you know, will the nature of the pandemic lead to more players staying home? And while Florida, Florida State, and Miami are probably going to get a lot of players that are maybe not the top 10 players, but I'm sure that they're just going to fill their rosters as they do every year with plenty of high-quality in-state talent. It, it stood against that um, you know, armchair notion that it would help in-state schools to be able to lock down top in-state talent. It, 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 yes, it accepts... Uh, the top 10 guys in the state of, of a state like Florida are as heavily recruited as early as anywhere. So it's a little bit different than even California because things are just like the guys, the top 10 players in the state of Florida have been top guys for like two years now. And so, yes, it's going to be a lot easier if you got a really good crop of talent in the state of Iowa which Iowa does, you're gonna have this is gonna work in your favor. If the DMV is pretty loaded, uh, it's gonna work in your favor. If New Jersey's pretty loaded, Rutgers got a chance. But 
Florida guys are getting offers at fifth, at, you know, in eighth grade. Florida guys are getting like they're doing seven on seven freshman year on. Like they're just it's such a it's such a more heavily canvas state that these guys have all taken visits. They know where all these schools are. They're, it's not like they're just sort of stuck with whatever the schools that they have exposure to. It's it's so I think that that might be a little bit of the reason why that that doesn't fit that narrative quite as well. The uh, speaking of the DMV, uh, big recruiting week this weekend uh, will continue as Caleb Williams, five-star dual-threat quarterback out of DC. He's going to be making his official announcement. He is rated as a number one dual-threat quarterback according to twenty-four-seven Sports and the twenty-four-seven Sports composite. A top ten player, top five in the composite. We're looking at Oklahoma. We're looking at LSU. Maryland is in there, but the 24-7 Sports Crystal Ball has him pointed towards the Sooners. Caleb Williams, uh, I, the, the the stats all look great in terms of, you know, if he does end up going to Oklahoma. Or I guess where's where's your, your particular confidence in that and how have you seen his recruitment play out? Yeah, he's still. I think he's still going to go to Oklahoma. Uh, Maryland, I'm sorry. Yeah, Maryland is, is – They've made a, a, a push, and who knows what happens by the end of signing day. I'd be pretty surprised if he didn't commit to Oklahoma. Um, and and he's he's the elite talent in this class. Uh, he's he's pretty special in terms of his ability, arm talent, mobility, um, and and so you know Lincoln Riley has has done a pretty you know uh, it's understandable why these guys want to go play for Lincoln Riley um, at the quarterback position. But we'll see. We saw him at the Elite 11 um, on film virtually uh, because of our, our current pandemic-related circumstances. We weren't actually physically there, but we got all the film from the Elite 11. And he had, you know, there's there's a lot of quarterbacks that could be sort of nipping at his heels this cycle. But just pure ability, I don't think anybody's got what Caleb Williams has. He was the MVP, right? He was the MVP. It was a little bit controversial because he didn't have great days on the second and third day, Ooh. but he had a great day on the first day. And they take, you know, they they um, they do factor in film and junior years and everything. But yes, he was the MVP. Coming up on the other side, some of your questions from the big old bag of mail answered next. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This first question comes from Chris, and Chris asks, Great podcast, guys. Keep up the great work. Have a question for you. 
Ohio State is considered a program that's always talked about every year as a national title contender, but it's only a program it's a program that's only won two titles in the past 20 years. Is it fair to say that with all the talent they've had throughout those years and all the players that have been drafted that it's a disappointment to only have two national titles in 20 years? For all the 1980 jokes and underachieving that UGA and its fans get, parentheses, deservedly so, that Ohio State would get that Ohio State would get some criticism also granted, I know 2014, obviously a lot closer than 1980, but two titles in 20 years is shocking for a program that recruits and develops like Ohio State. And according to Barton's Position U series is up there with a lot of them. So with just two national championships in 20 years, with all those blue chips and all those NFL draft picks, has Ohio State actually underachieved? Nope. Okay, great. I'm glad you said that. All right. So go for it. State your case. I There is a case. I get it from the perspective of how good they've been and how talented they've been. It's like, man, they really should have won more national titles than that. But it's really hard to win a national title. And if we want to go simply from a pure mathematic standpoint, there are 130 teams in FBS. So if they all had an equal chance you have a 0.7% chance to win a national title in any given season. If we be more realistic and we go to there's only 65 teams because that's how many more te- that's how many teams are in the power 5, then you have a 1.5% chance of winning a national title in any given year. Ohio State has won 10% of the national titles in the last 20 years. And when you think about the fact that Alabama has been so dominant during those 20 years and that Clemson now is joining, so that you take away what? eight titles right there. So of the other 12, Ohio State's won two of them, which means they've won you know, roughly 17% of those titles. When you do it mathematically, Ohio State is greatly overachieving because winning one national title is, over, is a great overachievement compared to what the odds are. So no, I don't think Ohio State is underperforming, but I do get the thought process behind the question because if we look at it from like, okay, in any year there's really only eight teams that have a chance to win it, you would think that, yeah, based on that, Ohio State should probably have more than two titles. But I think that to say they've underachieved is somewhat ridiculous. Okay, so I I was expecting to to come up with that answer in approaching this question. But I think it's very important to understand the the question, like the context, what, what's, what, is, what he's asking. He's not asking... Has Ohio State underachieved? Period. Or like because compared if, to if the asking, average FBS team, Ohio State right, is like, not being graded against the middle of the road zero in the S and P plus. And even more, like even beyond that, like we're not even grading Ohio State relative to the other blue bloods. Because even if you do that, like they haven't underachieved. They have won two national championships. They've won one in twenty fourteen. Like that, those are hard to do. It's really hard to win a national championship. Those are tremendous accomplishments. Ohio State has not underachieved, period. Ohio State has not underachieved relative to the other Blue Bloods, period. But Ohio State has underachieved relative to the talent that has been on its roster. So, like, think about that. Like, it's, that's a tremendous honor to be able to even say that. Like that you have they put together such high quality rosters that winning two national titles in 20 years and winning one in the last decade 
is not good enough. And But the reality is, because I think this is the important distinction, is, is that he is talking about it as it relates to the talent. And, and as it relates to the talent, you could make a case Ohio State is the best team in college football in terms of recruiting and developing talent. I would make that case probably. I mean, Alabama has had the best recruiting classes across the board, but Ohio State and and the position U series I did was startling to me. Like Ohio State is at the top of almost every list. If they're not number one, which they are for, frankly, most of them, they're top top four um, for just about all of them. And so that is again what what I, I bring the comparison back to. And so like. When 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 you're talking about it in that context, then you have to compare. Like, unfortunately for Ohio State, they are compared to Alabama. Alabama hasn't lost to an unranked team since 2007. Ohio State's lost nine times over that span to unranked teams since 2012. Again, and and so t- 2012, I think is is when Urban got there. They they've lost four times. To unranked teams and so that to me yes it's underachieving and that's not a huge indictment on the program because when you are setting your own bar as high as it is it's not it's not an indictment at all frankly it's really hard to do what they're doing but it's still to answer the question in a very literal sense i do think that yes like you have to kind of if it's if it's binary one or the other i i think you have to go under they here's, here's a hypothetical then okay you mentioned that Urban came to Ohio State in 2012, and yeah, that was the year that Ohio State went 12 and 0, but could not play in the postseason because of players getting tattoos for free. If let's say we live in a universe where Ohio State was able to play in the postseason, they go on to win the Big Ten, they reach the title game, and they beat Alabama, who won the national title game. Have they have they underachieved with three titles in 20 years? That's a fair question, and I and I, I I kind of thought about that too, in in uh, looking through sort of what they've done over the last decade and everything, but and I think that if 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 we if we play that hypothetical game, then that does absolutely cut into the idea that they've underachieved. I think two in the last decade probably gets them over the hump, but I. I think that that's also a little bit of I'm not yes they could have done that but they would have had to beat one of two really good teams like it wasn't like someone backed into the national championship that year I mean Alabama and LSU that year were right in that who it was that no year? that would be Alabama and Notre Dame yeah okay so, so then, it would have been Alabama versus so Ohio State not so, Alabama versus Notre got Dame it, got it so it would have been Alabama they would have had to beat Alabama so yeah that they. You know, but then they would have lost because that's what happened when they played LSU, and that's what happened uh, when they played Florida. Like I, my Ohio State underachieving goes back to Jim Tressel. Like it goes back to the role that you play in college football landscape, which was for a long time they win the Big Ten, and winning the Big Ten means a lot to Big Ten teams. But then they'd go play an SEC team and they'd lose. So in the last twenty three seasons. 15 times they finished in the top five of the AP poll. Like 15 out of the last 23 times. They want, That includes both national championships. But that means that 13 of those 15 times, 
their role in the play of college football for that season was not champion, but national championship contender or, you know, really good team. But when it really came time for the big boys to strap it up, Ohio State was just, they were just going to play the opponent. Like in that run of SEC dominance in the BCS era, Ohio State's role for the most part was not a threat. And I feel like that is... That's what's laid sort of the groundwork for that reputation. Now, I also believe, and this was like, I wrote a thing for CBSSports.com this week, looking at Clemson, Oklahoma, and Ohio State, sort of considering as like, will anybody shake these three from just dominating in their own conference, looking at the streaks, looking at each conference's history, and where I left with Ohio State, which by the way, has only won three Big Ten titles in a row, is that the infrastructure is set up that it's only going to get better. Like I think Ohio State is more equipped right now to change that underachieving reputation. And if I had to make a bet on moving forward rather than judging the past, I think that national championships are going to occur more frequently than they have in the last quarter century. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that. And I think that as much as – because the reason that we're saying they underachieve is because of what Urban Meyer accomplished on the recruiting trail. Like again, like a, it's 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 a weird it's a it's a weird sensation, but yes, like the only way you can underachieve with the most talented roster in college football is to assemble the most talented roster in college football. And so in doing that, like I think Urban Meyer like was a he was like a obviously an incredible coach, but there the the reality is they did lose to Purdue. They did lose to Iowa they did you know they had these like weird random games and so I my my belief here because like look at look at this past year like first year of Ryan Day they had their quarterback in Justin Fields and yes they lost to Clemson in the playoffs but that was they were every every bit as good as Clemson and probably I mean you could make a strong case that they were the better team like play that game 10 times they'll win more than five um and so it feels like, despite all that that we just talked about, I'm with you, Chip. Like it feels like that they they have a chance now to start to meet those expectations, um, and 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 perhaps become like the the team that is is equipped to dominate this next little run. But this was this is going to be the year where we sort of figure out how realistic that expectation is. All right. Next question, Patrick asks. Hey guys, thanks for making quarantine better with this podcast. I have a music recommendation for you guys and a question. Barton, have you listened to any of the music recommendations from us or listeners? So I've, I've, I like the thing that seemed to have resonated the most with the listeners is the reggae, like a bunch of, bunch of, uh, a bunch of folks that fashion themselves reggae experts have been hitting me up with some reggae recommendations. I've tried a couple of them. I realized like my reggae phase has already passed. Like, <laughs> like, I, that was like a that was like a week, and uh, it was called think, college. <laughs> Everybody went through it. So, so I um, thank you for the. I don't need any more reggae recommendations. Um, I, I, I but I am still open to music. There, there was one. Oh, I wish I, I. What did this guy send it to me? It was I can't remember if it was a direct message on Twitter, or. Um, uh, maybe it was, like, I don't remember, I don't remember, but there, but one guy sent me, maybe it was just in, uh, in my mentions, 
one guy sent me like the first recommendation I got after the podcast was like because it was very open ended in terms of the genre of music that I that I was interested in. He sent me this this band, and I and I meet and I put him into Spotify, and it was like kind of like garage band rock. I don't even know what that is, but just sort of like kind of terrible rock that like sounded like it was like a almost like middle aged dad bands that maybe was cool like when they were younger or something like it i wasn't feeling it and so i do appreciate the recommendations keep them coming i like a very eclectic diverse music genres but uh take no offense if i (laughs) if i'm not feeling it all right so uh it was not bedroom pop it was more like uh noise rock or something yeah, it was like, uh, like, what's the? Uh, it was I don't know, fuzzy I'll, with an echo. I'm, I'm envisioning like a band, and it was almost like poor man's. Um, uh, I don't know. Like, I just envisioned a band like punk rock, maybe. Like they're in in a garage, and they're like, yeah, it's a lot of yelling, but it's not like metal. It's I think maybe punk rock is what I, what it, it would be. Was it screamo? I'm gonna I'm gonna try to fi- I'm gonna try to figure out who this band was by the end of it. We'll see if we can get them some some downloads or something. Okay, they're only on Bandcamp. Sounds like. <laughs> All right. Uh, How many people sent you links to their SoundCloud? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Patrick's question: uh, The Music Wreck is an album called Chasing Summer by Sir. It's very mellow and an easy listen. My question is: If you guys think Dave Aranda can turn Baylor into the team to challenge Oklahoma perennially for the Big Twelve? He's got a great staff and can recruit very well. I know Texas is back, quotations, every year, but I think Baylor has a chance to leapfrog them. Thanks again and stay safe. I have no idea. I I think he can, but I don't I'm not looking for it right away. Just because the success that Baylor had making it to the Big 12 championship game this last time seemed so much to be the 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 like the true we played a bunch of a bunch of freshmen played then they became sophomores and then they became juniors and seniors and and now there's going to be a little bit of like we've we've still got uh this similar quarterback room but there's still a lot of turnover especially on the defensive side of the ball that I thought was so important to their success I do like the the staff that he's put together, tapping some of the people, some of his connections from LSU, bringing in Larry Fedora to be the offensive coordinator. But man, I just I don't think that Baylor leapfrogging Texas is something that I'm ready to call right now when I am already pretty bullish on what Texas can be after the step back last year. Like, yeah, Texas definitely has the the warning signs for 2020 over the fact that they changed the OC and the DC and then lost spring practice and likely a lot of fall camp. But it's a, it's a really talented roster, and Tom Herman has now been there for long enough that I, I think that he sort of had his ups and downs in trying to figure out how to settle into his own skin as the Texas football coach. And Dave Aranda, as much as I love to hear him speak, as, as thoughtful as he is and as smart as he is about football, like he's still trying to figure out how to be the leader of a team. So I am I'm like, I think that there is a bright future ahead but if you're talking about leapfrogging Texas, I'm not going to buy that, at least not uh, until I've, there's a couple years under Aranda's belt. 
I mean, ba- based on the way Baylor performed in the Art Briles era and then where it was going under Matt Rule, you can make an argument that it's ahead of Texas right now as it is. It's just I can't predict whether Dave Aranda is going to get Baylor into that area where it's competing with Oklahoma on an annual basis for the Big 12 title simply because I've never seen Dave Aranda as a head coach. So I've, I've got nothing to go off of there. It's possible because Baylor has shown it's a bit, it's able to do that for the most part for the last what for the last decade Baylor has shown that it can compete in the Big 12 it, it has the ability to do so but I I don't know whether Dave Aranda is going to be able to do it now I think that I I like the Dave Aranda hire at Baylor because of the fit I think that he like one of my I think Dave Aranda has to be in the sort of the right place I think Baylor is the right place for Dave Aranda I think he is similar in Matt Rule in a lot of ways. I think he can sort of maintain the momentum that Matt Rule built. I think it'll be easy to have buy-in with Dave Aranda if you had buy-in with Matt Rule. I think that um, his approach to the players will be similar. Uh, He's a really good coach. My question has always been with Dave Aranda as it relates to his head coaching ability is recruiting. And I think, like I said, I think Baylor is the right place to be able to recruit the way he's going to recruit, which is to evaluate. But I'll, I mean, I'll say this, like, and this is, we're fresh off the elite 11 where Kyron drones, the Baylor commit was, was fantastic. And I think, uh, Baylor right now, there's 16 commits. I would say seven of them are guys that I would consider like blue chips. Mm. And that's a pretty good number for Baylor. Baylor. And some of those, and now some of those are sort of more my opinion than industry consensus, but I, but I, I, I really like a couple of those guys that I, that I'm a little bit higher than the the industry on. So I think it's I think this is an encouraging class for Baylor to be this challenger that uh, our our guy wants them to be. Uh, thank you, Patrick, for the question. All right, next question comes from Best Father 54 Ooh, cocky. Uh, gentlemen, big fan of the pod. I want to get your thoughts on the new SEC West coaches. Of the three, Leach, Sammy P, and Kiffin, who do you think has the most success? Who will have the least success? And how many of those guys will be at their current school in 2025? Bonus question. Will Chad Morris be successful enough at Auburn to garner head coaching interest? Um, first of all, he's going to get us in trouble with this one uh, because that's that's a we're, we're going to make us pick between the Mississippi schools. And they're pretty sensitive down there. Tom, uh, I mean, who's most likely to have the most success? Well, considering Mike Leach had success at Texas Tech and Washington State, I think he's most likely, but I also think it depends on how you define success. Like, I think that Mississippi State will be going to bowl games and it'll be a solid program. I don't think it's Mike Leach is going to take it to a point where it's winning the SEC West and competing with Alabama, LSU, Auburn, because Mike Leach's approach to recruiting has just never indicated that he's going to be able to bring in the kind of roster that he's going to need to compete with those teams. So I think he's the most likely. 
That's not to say that I don't think Lane Kiffin has a chance because Lane has, you know, he's won at FAU. He was the USC is kind of weird to judge him on be based on the recruiting stuff that had happened and how he was able to bring in, you know, what he was able to do and not able to do with his recruiting and whether things might have turned around if he'd gotten more time. But it was also inconsistent, whereas one week that team would look great and the next week it would look pretty average. So I feel like depending on how much Lane has truly learned from his time at Alabama and with what he was doing at FAU, there's a chance that Mississippi can, you know, compete and be successful under Kiffin. I think Arkansas has a chance to be successful under Pittman because I feel like he is somebody who we haven't seen as a head coach yet, but you just feel like you know that Sam Pittman has a philosophy for what he's going to do. And if they stick to that philosophy and, you know, give it time, then it could work. It's gonna. It's not gonna be something that takes one or two years to get out of. I don't think so. I think the time is gonna be the greatest asset as far as who's most likely to be there in twenty twenty five. Ironically, I think Pittman is yeah. because I think that he's in a position where they have to give him time, so he's gonna get that time. And personality wise, I don't think he's as likely to rock any boats as either Kiffin or Leach are. So I would go Pittman. Yeah, I went. I this one. I my mine is most success. Uh, I think it's going to be Lane Kiffin. I think that his approach to recruiting, I think that his uh, what what we have seen Ole Miss be able to accomplish with uh, you know a sort of offensive leaning approach has been disruptive enough in the SEC West that that could be something that is a level of success. Um, you know, there, I think that that will be the most talented of roster of the three, and I think that that will be uh, a chance for them to have the most success. I think the least amount of success is Arkansas because ever since the SEC expanded adding Texas A&M and Missouri in 2012, Arkansas has been by far the least successful program in conference play. Now there is some some woeful years, the Chad Morris years included, that are really pulling that average down. And there was, you know, the John L. Smith season. You know, go out there, get your piss hot, everything else. But I I think that Arkansas in the SEC West finds itself on almost an annual basis with an uphill battle. And that is going to mean that on paper there's, that is going to be the program of the three that I think is going to have the least amount of success. But however, I also still think that if you're asking who's still there in 2025, I think it's Sam Pittman. And I think you could, if I was to add another wrinkle to the question, I would suggest that maybe I would take Sam Pittman as most amount of uh, wins at that school. Like the idea that it's a longevity play, the idea that Pittman could be at Arkansas for seven seasons, eight seasons, and maybe, you know, they don't end up um, knocking off uh, in Alabama or in Auburn or an LSU on an annual basis. Like I think that Ole Miss will do. Maybe they aren't the, the thorn in the side of the rest of the division that I think Mississippi state can be, but uh, I do think that because of uh, maybe volatility that Mike Leach and Lane Kiffin will be other places and Sam Pittman will still be at Arkansas. And as long as he's able to continue to build and continue to show improvement, he could end up having more actual wins at Arkansas than either Kiffin has at Mississippi or Leach has at Mississippi State. I, um, I, I agree with that. I think right now, 
Kiffin has the best opportunity to be successful in terms of, you know, his staff, himself as a coach, and the roster he inherits uh, versus the other three. Uh, I think the most longevity agrees probably is is with Pittman. I thought one interesting question that I kind of thought about with this was like, so the 2025 question. So like, obviously that there's a, there's a way it could go south certainly with, with Leach or with Kiffin to where both of them could be gone. I mean, Pittman too, but I thought about two in the sense of like, all right, if they're not there at 2025, it's either gone really well or, or really poorly or it's gone really well. And so I just enjoyed thinking about what, what would be the scenario for it to go really well for Kit Kiffin to where he would leave and to where would he leave to? Because Kiffin at Mississippi is sort of a, it's a sweet spot and it's a good program and a good conference. But I mean, where, like, where's the next spot? What what would even entice him? Would he even want to leave? And if, if so, to where I'm just, I'm curious what you guys would pick. If you had to predict, all right, there's a the the uh, the Biff's almanac says Lane Kiffin had a, a fantastic run at Ole Miss, and now he and he left before 2025. Uh, where where did he land? <laughs> <laughs> I you know what I want to say because see yeah right back <laughs> let's go. <laughs> but okay, but do you do you? I, I, that's hilarious to think about, but. Do you actually believe that that that, that is, is conceivable? Yes. Okay. I think that if Lane Kiffin leaves Mississippi because he did well there, it's going to be for a title contending team, a okay. program that can compete. So what? It might be like you know maybe he replace maybe in some university replaces Saban at Alabama. Sure. Yeah. I would sign up for that. So uh, here's I thought about this for a while, and this is the school that I came up with is right down the road from Alabama. I think it would be Auburn. Oh, man. Like, you can't – he's not He's not leaving for – I mean, yes, he, Kiffin is the, – the whole Kiffin saga, the, the storyline is, is – there's no telling where it could go. But, yes, I mean, it's unlikely he would go back to USC, I would imagine. He wouldn't want to go to UCLA. He wouldn't want to go – like, I don't see an Ohio State hiring if, if, like, Ryan Day goes to the NFL or something. I don't see – you know, maybe if things don't work out with Norvell, sure, maybe like a Florida State, I guess. Um, we, uh, like Alabama, that strikes me as a little bit uh, too, like just opposite of of Nick Saban. But just the troll in Kiffin, to to I think he would love <laughs> to just be at Auburn and just be the other guy in the state. the The Iron Bowl would be amazing. <laughs> With Lane Kiffin at Auburn, just I'll, just for the culture clash, Lane Kiffin to Michigan. Well, that's all right. Yeah. So I was I was ruling out Michigan because I don't I don't think he fits the no, I don't Michigan man requirements. <laughs> but Florida State's another good one. I could I could see Florida State being a good fit. Uh, Miami, Miami. You know, I mean, he, I mean that, that's probably where he would want to go. Yeah, that's I, that gets him back in Boca. In, in, uh, Boca. Yes. Yeah. Uh, no, I'll say either of those USC or I mean, if if he's really successful, that the NFL could come calling again. It could. That's a, that's could. another option. 
but I don't see Mike Leach in the NFL. I don't see Mike Leach getting the same kind of uh, wooing from some of the bigger programs that Kiffin would get if he was uh, very successful. And then again, I mean, Pittman at Arkansas, y'all let me take my shoes off, take my socks off. Like I, I just think he's going to be real comfortable. Uh, speaking of, all right, let's do this last one. By the way, I found the, I found the band. What is it? Um, the, the, the guy's name, it's the band's name or the guy's name is Jeff Rosenstock. You guys ever heard of this guy? Nope. Nope. Give, give him a listen Jeff, sometime. Jeff Rosenstock is an American musician and songwriter from Long Island, United States. He was the lead singer of the ska punk band The Arrogant Sons of Bitches. The musical <laughs> collective bombed the music industry and the indie rock band Kudrow. After the breakup of Bomb the Music Industry, he began a solo career. Okay, so, so ska who, punk. Who, yeah, whoever, whoever, whoever recommended him to me, I apologize. I don't. I can't give you a shout out. I don't. I don't remember. But he. It was a very confident wreck. It was like, Jeff Rosenstock, you'll thank me later. <laughs> and, and the first the first song on his Spotify is called like is a, is called nausea, and it's just nausea inducing. Kind of, it's just kind of it's just like kind of screaming stuff. And again, I do appreciate the wreck. I and I, I may give it another try just to make sure I didn't overlook it. But the sky, the sky, and I don't think that's quite my my lane. Uh, just, you know, while, while we're here on that note, I, I will, uh, I'll, I'll throw this. I know that I've got no samples quite yet, but as I was, uh, brainstorming and workshopping, I was thinking that ska slash punk, uh, might be the, might, might be the, the musical touchstone for the ranking the news jingle. Would we be, would we be into that kind of, uh, vibe with it? See if Jeff Rosenstock will grant us, uh, Drannis rights to one of his songs. We'll just make it a Jeff Rosenstock sample. For can, some can reason, you, oh, go ahead. can you do like a nasally pop punk voice to sing over? Well, I, actually, I was thinking more like Mighty Mighty Boss Tones. Ah, okay. Little, little, little Mighty Mighty Boss Tones in, in Rosenstock. Yeah, I was, I was thinking a little more gravelly, a little more. Uh, I don't know. We'll work on it. I'll have I'll have a sample for y'all before uh, before we debut it on the show next time we do ranking the news. Uh, nice little question that goes along well with that we'll hit before we get out of here username my dentist is a croc jeez <laughs> <laughs> just just di- di- dentist opinions are well they're very encouraged on the cover three five positive uh, or negative positive or negative All right, i watched felipe franks throw a hail mary to beat tennessee and i saw him beat michigan for a new year's six bowl win where can Felipe take Arkansas? Still a Gator fan. Love the podcast. The better question is where could Ben Hicks have taken Florida? And Ben, ben, ben Hicks is one of the guys that was playing like Nick Starkle, right? Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. Wasn't Ben Hicks one of them? Mm-hmm. I'm curious where Ben Hicks or Nick Starkle could have taken Florida because at this point, I'm still very much undecided on what Felipe Franks even is, and that would help me figure it out. I don't think Felipe Franks can take Arkansas very far, just because I think that there's a lot of work to be done at Arkansas, and I do not think that I do not think of Felipe Franks as somebody who's going to be able to step in 
and is somebody who's good enough to just, you know, take over an offense and improve an offense significantly enough to where he's going to have the kind of impact that he needs to have at Arkansas. So I would say maybe he helps them get a win, but his accuracy has never been great. So I don't have a ton of faith in that. Big bodies and big arms don't impress me anymore. Seen too many of them. You know, it's just, yeah. it, I've, I've hit my maximum saturation. If you've, you can, you can get out there and you can, you can sling it. You can chuck it deep downfield. That's awesome. Congratulations. But when we're talking about leading winning programs at the power five level, you, you got to have a little something extra. And, uh, and Felipe Franks left me wanting more. I I will be glad to be proven wrong on Felipe Franks. I've had uh, to, I've mentioned his name too many times in jokes, you know, just just because uh, just just because of the like the dynamic of getting mad at your own fans, you know. That's it was hilarious. It really I, was. I will say the one thing I like about Felipe is that he has an irrational amount of confidence in himself. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> like, yeah, that's I like. I, it's, it's and you want that. He's got Moxie. You want that in your QB. He's entertaining, but yeah, I've se- I've seen plenty of uh, of big big arm, big body quarterbacks uh, with too much confidence also lose games too. So we'll we'll have to see where Felipe Franks goes with Arkansas. Uh, but I, I, but but I will say though, I think he's. I mean, I think he's better than those other guys I mentioned. And I think Arkansas will be better around him than they were with those other guys I mentioned. And so, who knows? Who I'm knows? Rule, I'm not going to rule success out for my guy, Felipe. All right. We let it all be settled. This is Barton's guy, Felipe. Barton <laughs> invited Felipe Franks to the party. And if Felipe Franks gets mad about losing in ping pong and breaks the table... Barton's paying for it. <laughs> All right. You can follow him on Twitter at Barton Simmons. You can follow him at Tom Finnell. You can follow me at Chip underscore Patterson. Gentlemen, thank you very much. Thank you. What's normal? The Paramount Plus original series, Evil Returns. We've already hunted werewolves and demons. And now what? A baby antichrist? Okie <laughs> dokie. Prepare yourself. You will not beat us. For the end. I have visions of hell. Make it stop. Make it shut up. You're not gonna survive this. Evil. The final season. Streaming May 23rd. Only on Paramount Plus.